Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. Welcome to another episode of Fika with Anika. I'm sitting here with my friend Merle Johnson. He's a ANZA resident. I uh, know Merle from um, various activities with the local nonprofits, and I know that he's involved with our local groundwater. And uh, I'm just really happy to have you here. Let's uh, just talk about uh, whatever floats your boat. Hi, Annika. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I, uh, I started out in Illinois in 1955. They moved us out here to the southwestern United States in 1962. They being? My parents. Okay. Uh, they had to wander list most of their lives. And we moved around the United States mostly, but um, quite a bit here in the Southwest, California, between California and Arizona. Uh, I uh, did my academics in grade schools six months at a time in different cities, so I have a well-rounded experience in my education, but in the yearly part. Uh, in 1973, I took first place in Orange County as a draftsman in high school. And because I could draw blueprints and read blueprints, it took me into architectural drafting, engineering departments, and, uh, and eventually, I, because I could read blueprints, I got into machine shops, and uh, one of the first jobs I had in Anza after people uh, found out that I knew a little more than ditch digging and uh, raking leaves because there was a lot of opportunity for that up here in 1985. And there still is. Yeah. And uh, I went to work for Rick Vanderlinden in his Swiss screw machine shop up here, which was, uh, that was a different experience too. It was a small family-owned machine shop, and it was a great place to work. I learned a lot for, from uh, Rick Vanderland in the end, uh, and I always appreciate the education I got with him, especially here in Anzin, got to meet people through the machine shop. People would stop in and have a cup of coffee with him, and, uh, and it was a great experience. Uh, my life in Anza has been interesting for me, to say the least. I... Uh, I met my wife up here. We uh, bought a house, had my son. Uh, we, uh, I enjoyed growing trees. I planted quite a few trees on my property, mostly volunteers, because uh, digging those ditches and raking those leaves here, I found what trees really did well up here with very little care. So I'm kind of partial to uh, Siberian elms, Chinese elms, and eucalyptus, gum eucalyptus, they grow pretty good up here, and uh, black locust. 
any kind of locust. The locusts do really well here with just a little bit of water. I know. We have uh, several of them at the uh, Minor Park. Uh -huh. Yeah. They, they're a long-lived tree. The, uh, there was one that was by the liquor store years ago, and it had uh, a trunk that was three foot in diameter. So I imagine it was well over 100 years old before it met its demise. Uh, yeah, they don't live forever. Uh, well, I've, uh, I've done a lot of different things in Anza. I uh, worked at the laborer's school for 10 years at three different positions. That was uh, where the Trinity or where not Trinity, Trinity yeah, it was. was, was Trent, it was a labor school, then it was Trinity, and now it's Olivet University. I've worked under all three ownerships. What is a labor school? The labor school is who built the facility. They bought it from the Tripp family, I believe. They, uh, that's where the original Tripp homestead was. And uh, they bought it in, I believe it was 1979, and they built a $11 million cinder block complex out there to teach young fellows from the laborers union a trade. And that was to labor on construction sites, doing concrete, uh, anything but iron pipe. Iron pipe went to the iron workers. Uh, so they laid a lot of clay sewer pipes, taught them that. They taught them uh, hazardous waste removal. I actually took that class because I was uh, working landscaping out there and I took care of 125 rose bushes. So I talked them into letting me take the hazardous waste class because I was working with malathion and a bunch of different pesticides and I thought that would be uh, good education and they did too. So the they give me the two-week uh, hazardous waste worker course. So I got to I'll learn another trade. And uh, and it was, uh, I enjoyed working for the Laborers Union. I worked with uh, Art Janke, who uh, has lived in Anzico, or Garner Valley, quite a bit of his life. That's one of the another old good, names, one of the homesteader names. Another good fellow that I, he was another good fellow that taught me a lot that I got to work with. Uh, I've got to work with some really good people in Anza, and and I've had some really good friendships up here too, like you. There's just something about it up here that it's very easy to make good friendships up here. Uh, so just going back a little bit, you've you've been around the Southwest and other areas too. Mm -hmm. So what is the appeal of Anza to make you, uh, you know, never want to leave again? The rural area and. Uh, and I've been able to make a, a, a reasonably good living. I'm not going to get rich up here, but uh, I've been comfortable up here. And I have, uh, I have five acres. My nearest neighbor's 300 feet away. And having grown up in the cities, hmm. uh, I, I enjoy the rural life because I come from uh, Illinois farm stock, and they we're pretty self-sufficient and that's one of the things I like up here is my independence and my self-sufficiency. Uh, when the power goes out, I figured out how to deal with it and uh, so now I have a generator and uh, and I have a tractor so that when the road washes out we can put that back together and uh, and through my life's experiences all these different activities that I've learned 
uh, I've never been without work. About, uh, let me back up a little bit here. When I, uh, when I was working at the labor school, I, uh, I worked the landscaping department, I worked janitorial out there, and I worked weekend security. Weekend security was a pretty good job because it, you had 48 hours in one weekend. So the other five days a week, I had my own handyman business, and I would hire out to different people to do different things, and as they found that I was capable of doing more than the ditch digging and the leaf raking, I went to work for a fellow named George Beal up here, and he had a little machine shop at home, and he wanted some concrete done, and uh, and he had a wooden water tower that had blown down, and he had all these pipes sticking out of the ground. So uh, he talked me into digging a, a three-foot deep hole that was probably 20 foot in diameter, and we replumbed everything and put it under the ground so that you didn't have to look at the plumbing anymore. And then he got to plant flowers. Yeah. Uh, he had a windmill tower there. And the windmill hadn't, hadn't worked in years because they had a uh, submersible pump. So we turned that into an antenna tower because we had real poor television reception back then. So uh, we turned that into a telephone, or a antenna. antenna tower. And uh, yeah, he, uh, before, George passed on. He told me, Merle, you made a lot of my dreams come true here, but you can't see most of them because they were <laughs> underground or in the walls or one thing or another. Uh, that was that was a challenging ditch that we dug there. It was uh, six inches wide and three foot deep, and I did it by hand. And it wasn't long. It was only like 40 feet, but it took me like two days. It can be hard up here, you know, depending oh, on the yeah. soil that you're in. Yeah, uh, that's where I learned to uh, wet wet the soil down. <laughs> Let right. it sit for a couple of days, then right. come back and it's, right, it's right, a right. lot easier to do that pick and shovel work. Right, but uh, to you know to dig a straight line forty feet, that, that's a challenge a, right there. You do it with a string, and you just stay on the one <laughs> side of the string. That's the best you can. Yeah, try not uh, to list to the left. I. Uh, did the handyman thing during the week and uh, weekend security, and then uh, I uh, went to work at the labor school again, full time, for a while in janitorial because one of the gals out there had to have some surgery and they needed somebody to work there. So uh, they liked the way I cleaned bathrooms. I can clean bathrooms really well. My, I, okay. I hope my a... wife doesn't hear this. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I. They liked my work out there, so I stayed out there for about 10 years. And then uh, at one point, I decided that I wanted to move on and go back into working as a handyman. And uh, and I'd worked off and on for uh, Louis DiMartino and learned quite a few things from Louis also, especially about electrical. Right. So Louis is a, a local realtor. He was a realtor. Uh, and we'll, I worked on and off for him and there, and we're going to get into the story where I worked with him in a couple of minutes here, but uh, uh, my second position out there at the labor school was working for Trinity Family Services, and it was a boys' home, and uh, and the boys, had, they were in the system for one thing or another because they'd run amok, so, uh, so I got to work as a child care worker for teenage boys, 
and uh, and that was a really interesting job too. They gave me a two week course there. I I trained with the teachers, and uh, they taught us how to interact with uh, the juveniles, and how to be a better role model for them, and and how to work with them and how to keep yourself safe because some of these young fellows could act out in in, uh, in anger pretty quick, and you. We learned different ways to recognize psychological patterns and how to run uh, what they used to call a group where the boys would talk about themselves. And uh, we learned how to talk about our problems during the day and, and uh, proper ways to interact when we have problems, what's going on in life, our feelings, learning to talk about emotions. That was a real big one. I learned a lot with those boys in uh, I uh, I started a hiking club out there. So after school, we would get out and we hiked Kauia Mountain. Uh, they would have outings on the weekends for the, the, the fellows that were uh, more on task and doing better at their programs. Uh, I was the only club instructor out there that could take kids out on the weekend and they knew they were all coming back with me <laughs> because <laughs> every now and then you wanted to run off you but run, right. we were out in the woods and uh and it was funny uh, up on Quia uh, mountain there's a meadow up there when you after you do your jacob's ladder trail up there and you get up on the top there's a big meadow well i've got 15 of these boys and we're in this big meadow and they can spread out they can do whatever they want as long as i, I know I can see them. I know where they're at. It's all good. Right. They would sit in a tight little group because they were from the city. And right. when they got out here into the country, they weren't at ease. And they wouldn't spread out because they felt safe together. And uh, we were hiking on that same hike. We went from that meadow to uh, the spring that's on the other end, almost to the overlook where you can see uh, Lake Riverside. And uh, and we started talking about uh, how if you were in the front, you needed to watch out for snakes. Look out about six foot in front of you. That's one of those things that I first learned down in Tucson when they moved us out here. Uh, so there was a, a young fella in the front, and we started talking about the snakes. Pretty quick, he's in the back. <laughs> so we started talking. Talking about watch out for the guy in the back because if, if there's a mountain lion or something out there, he, he's going to pick off the guy in the back. Oh, Merle, you're bad. So he got up in the middle. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was kind of a fun experience, but I was trying to teach him about being out in the wild. And, uh, and there, was, there was a poor rattlesnake at the spring. When you're up on top of Kauia Mountain, there's a spring, and somebody actually put an iron rod with a steel arrow on it and it's got a spring on the top a coil spring so it points the way to the spring so we pass that and we get up to this spring and there's a rattlesnake laying there and these boys had never seen a rattlesnake and they wanted to tease the rattlesnake and so then i had part of my job was to keep them safe and supervised and i took it to heart so uh yes we let the rattlesnake go, and we turned around and went the other way. Uh, he was just, I imagine the rattlesnake was just sitting there waiting for a rat to come by and get a drink. He was going to have dinner. Right. But, uh, yeah, that was 
working at the labor school was a fun experience. Uh, the construction teacher out there uh, moved on to another job and they needed a construction teacher. So I took on the construction teacher job and I did it for probably about six months and uh, taught them how to uh, hang drywall, how to tape, how to, uh, how to do little tasks with power tools. I set up a router table and uh, I had a router table, I had a, a bandsaw out there, different hand tools and taught them how to work a little bit with wood. I had uh, one young fellow, I was teaching him about the router table and, and I told him, you gotta grab that wood nice and tight and when you're running it through. Well, he held it loose because he was scared of it, I imagine. And it, the piece of wood shot through and he got his finger into the router bit. And he proceeded to tell me how he was gonna sue oh. me <laughs> because he hurt his finger. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was just one of the little experiences there. Another one I learned there was uh, I had taken a stern attitude with the class and I picked out one boy and that was a mistake because he, we were face to face and uh, and it was mano a mano and, uh, and I had learned in the, the class with the teachers how to de-escalate a situation like that so I had to use some of my training there. Uh, sometimes it got a little scary out there. There was uh, one evening that a young fellow wanted to get out of there because we were way out in the rural area and uh, he wanted to go home. Well the only way to escape was if we transported him to the hospital because we had a lot of them would escape when they went to to hospitals or different functions. Anyway, he feigned illness, and uh, and I was working on a dorm that night with a couple of other staff. And some of these young fellows were in fear for their friend because we had called the fire department to come out, and uh, and they didn't know how to act or react in that situation. So we had a, a small riot go on. Let me understand this. So you called the fire department because of his illness? Yes, and he, okay. and he had passed out. Well, we found out later that he was feigning illness, but still it was a, it was a stressful situation. And some of the boys, because they were under stress for their friend, they started acting out. And, I see. Uh, and we actually, to, to keep the firemen safe and the paramedics that were working with the boy, these boys wanted to, to get in there to where the action was. After that experience, I decided that uh, I needed to do something different, but I wasn't sure what yet. And uh, Louis DiMartino offered me a position here at Caldwell Banker. He needed a property manager, and uh, and Lewis and I had worked together on different projects, and he liked my work on remodeling. So I remodeled the Rudy's Cafe complex. And uh, that's where we're actually sitting right now. Yes. From what I understand. Uh, back in the day, the fruit market was a restaurant with a speakeasy in the back, and uh, the long building along Contreras was a motel, and we 
we remodeled everything and uh, and kept the appearance on the outside the same, but uh, it changed quite a bit on the insides. We uh, there's been put, some upgrades. Under Lewis's instruction, I did some uh, some built-in uh, desks and furniture, remodeled the drywall, did soffit lighting, hung doors, modern doors, things of that nature. Uh, it was a real good experience. Right. Well, I can see kind of the remnants of the offices uh, where you're referencing that the motel was because of some partition walls that are still up. You can pretty much imagine where there used to be a room with its own entrance because there's common, doors everywhere. They had a common bathroom on the end. Oh, community yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I uh, enjoyed working with Lewis at uh, Caldwell Banker. He, uh, that's how I got into water, was I was his property manager and, uh, and I took my real estate license test and I wasn't a good fit for real estate. I, it was too much like fishing. Uh, <laughs> when they're biting, they're biting and when they're not, they're not. But uh, I, I enjoyed the property manager portion of it and uh, Lewis had bought a water company, Ramona up on Table Mountain, and I was the property manager, so I had to get a certificate. So I, uh, I at first I uh, read a book on uh, supplied by the state of California, did a little continuing education on that, and uh, got my first certificate as a treatment grade one operator, certified by the state of California. I had to go take the test, and uh, and I found out I enjoyed it. I especially found out that I enjoyed learning. Uh, anyway, I, Lewis and I were working together in uh, had a lot of different projects. He kept me busy for about three years. Uh, at, that was in 2005. In 2008, when real estate took a downturn, uh, I was Went into painting houses because Lewis had to fold up the business, and uh, I did still work with him on the little water company endeavors, and he we had uh, three of them at that time. It was Ramona, Springcrest on the side of Santa Rosa Mountain was in receivership, so we uh, were working with that company, and then uh, Lyman Turner passed away from Anza Mutual Water Company. And uh, I took over his spot as an operator there also. So uh, could, Merle, could you explain what is a water system? Most of us out here, we have our own wells and we're not on a system, so. Uh, most, everything about water systems is overseen by the state of California who is overseen well, let me back up. It's Riverside County. The chain of command goes from Riverside County to the state of California Health Department to the Environmental Protection Agency. EPA sets the federal standards and all the states can be more stringent but never less stringent than the, the federal standards. California tends to have a, a higher standard on some of what the EPA regulates. 
the EPA set down what size, they set down the different sizes and types of water systems. And they're based on the amount of population and the time of exposure to the water. The, it, get, it gets really involved with the different constituents, but what it does is uh, four, four houses or less are not considered a system. Connected houses, four connected houses. Four connected houses to one, one well, one tank. But uh, five to 14 are considered a state small system, and they have the minimum amount of requirements on uh, testing to make sure that the water quality stays consistent and, and safe and potable. Then from there, it goes to transient systems where the population is always moving, coming and going, like a restaurant or uh, a gas station with a soda fountain, things of that nature. The next class of system is governed by the amount of people, 25 people or more, exposed to the water for six months or more at a time. That's where your schools, uh, mostly schools, are considered non-community, non-transient type water systems because it's the same population, usually 25 or more, but they're not using the water all day long, but they're using it for more than six months. From there, it goes to a community system where it's 25 people or more, consistently exposed for more than six months out of the year to the same water source. Uh, I, I kind of think of it as uh, back in uh, the Native American days. Everybody was going from water source to water source. So you didn't have too many problems when it came to some of the groundwater constituents. Mostly what they were affected by was bacteria and maybe some higher contamination. if if it was that high in a single source. But as long as you moved around, you were getting a pretty even exposure, exposure to a minimum amount of constituents. With groundwater, especially, and surface water, uh, things change from place to place. So water treatment is a really important aspect after the water's been tested. Fika with Anika. Be aware that scammers are posing as Social Security Administration personnel and calling unsuspecting people on their cell phones. The recorded call informs them that their Social Security number has been suspended and they will lose their benefits unless they press a number to speak to a representative. These phone scammers threaten to block a person's social security number and seize their bank account. Here are some tips if you receive a call like this. The Social Security Administration will never call you to threaten your benefits or tell you to wire your money. Never give your social security number, bank account information, or credit card number to anyone that contacts you by phone. If you suspect a scammer, hang up and call the Social Security Administration toll-free number 
1213 to verify the reason for contact. Well, hey there. This is Dave Dolan, and I have the Castaway Fishing Show. You know, I just really love talking fishing, but um, it gets kind of lonely in here sometime. I'd like to have somebody come in here and talk some fishing with me. So if you like to go fishing, or if you'd like some information, talk about fishing, or maybe learn how to go fishing, get in touch with me and come on in here, and maybe we can put a show together. You can contact me at 951-763-KOYT, that's 951-763-5698, or send an email to programming at koyt971.org. So come on in here and talk to me. I'd love to talk some fishing with you. And remember, you can always catch me on the show here Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock and a replay Sunday evenings at 6. You're listening to KOYTLP. 97.1 Anza. Welcome back to Pika with Anika. So your job as an operator is to do testing on a regular basis? I do sampling and uh, make sure it gets to the lab, make sure it's done properly. Make sure it gets to the laboratory in, uh, in the prescribed amount of time, depending upon the constituent we're working with at that moment or that sample. Uh, it gets really involved. I, I have charts I have to refer to because some constituents I don't work with every day. And, uh, and some I do. I take care of uh, a number of little water systems now. And I have an employee who assists me, and he has the uh, same certificates I do, T2, D2. And uh, together, we oversee 34 systems. Uh, different sizes of systems, from state smalls to uh, communities. Largest we have here in Anza is about 80 connections. There's 80 connections on Anza Mutual Water Company. There's about 80 connections on Ramona right now. And uh, there's 40 connections in the Anza Pines. Those, all three of those are community systems. Okay, so my question then is a uh, system has, a, it's, there's one shared well for all of those connections. So the 80 connections have one common one. One or two, uh, up to five on some of them. Uh, it depends upon the amount of production and the water quality in the well as to how many wells that they have. Mostly production governs that. And uh, we see some things here in Anza that uh, uh, the constituents are governed by maximum contaminant levels. And once we find a constituent is in 50% or more of the, M, of the MCL, it triggers what they call quarterly testing. If it reaches the MCL, then it reaches monthly testing, and we have to start working with the state on a way to remedy the, that constituent and bring the level down to where it's with then safe measures again. Are what we talking filtration systems? Or, or? Can be. Uh, it's different types of filtration systems. Sometimes it's blending, depending upon other sources. 
uh, gets really involved and that uh, I let the engineers decide how they're going to remedy those situations in a lot of cases. In some cases, uh, some of the local pump contractors like Heritage or Frank Wicker, uh, they do some filtration that get that can take care of uh, large amounts of contaminants. Do, do they it deal with upon the, the well or the individual homes then? Both. Okay. I use them on the, the larger systems if they're capable of it. Uh, some things are, are beyond the scope of their businesses, so we have to go to other, other engineers and, uh, and other entities that work with larger water systems. I had this uh, vision in my head of a water operator such as yourself, and it just seems so simple. You open up the, the tap and the water appears. So this is, is quite fascinating to find out that it's not you're not sitting with your, your feet up on the on your desk and just waiting for you know for someone to call. No, ma'am. <laughs> we have two trucks and we keep them moving all the time. I uh, I take care of water systems in a rural area, so I uh, I get a lot of windshield time. And uh, going from one place to the next, it gives me time to think about the scope of the next project because I. Uh, my employee and I do the monitoring on these systems. We not only take the samples, but we have to measure the, the level of the groundwater, where the groundwater surface is underground. It's measured in uh, feet below grade. Uh, we do that. We have to read the meters. We have to check for leaks. We have to take samples. We have to monitor the samples to see what the levels come out. and uh, in in conjunction with Riverside County Health, and I also work in San Diego County with the health department there, they, uh, together we monitor what's going on with the water in any given public water system. Private wells are not included in that. Uh, so we, we monitor the water systems, check for leaks, we make small repairs. If it's bigger repairs, I call one of the other guys in to, to assist us with those type of repairs. Uh, we also have to work with, uh, we have to stay within a budget with most all of our water companies. So everything is approved by either ownership or uh, governing boards. Uh, we have some really good governing boards here in Anza when it comes to the water systems. They, uh, especially ANZA Mutual Water System, they really, they take their fiduciary duty to their constituents to heart. They try to keep that system. It's been really well managed over the years and, uh, and sets an example for the other systems in the valley. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, yeah, if you're drinking out of one of the taps that I oversee, you're doing really well. Uh, if not, then we have a tier system in the state of California, well, in the United States, where we notify the public on a public water system when the water is or has been at unsafe levels of different constituents. So... Uh, now that can happen because of nitrate levels or... That can happen with bacteria levels where uh, uh, bacteria gets introduced to the water system because Normally, there are no pathogenic, disease-causing organisms in groundwater. Mm -hmm. 
And organisms are different than contaminants or other constituents in the water. So bacteria, pathogenic bacteria, are always introduced to groundwater. Surface water, it's exposed to the air and stuff gets in it, so they have another process for that. But here in Anza, it's all groundwater. And uh, if you have a tank or the top of your well seal, can have a crack in it or where the the drop pipe goes through the seal down into the aquifer birds come there and rest and they do their thing and bugs crawl on it and when the rainwater in the winter time gets there and all this stuff has been sitting there all summer long when the rainwater hits it it migrates down through little cracks and holes in the top of a tank or a seal that's left unplugged or uh there's a multitude of ways. We have a little bit of training we go through to, to identify those things when we do get a, a bacteria sample that's positive for bacteria. Uh, we have uh, a test we do on the transient systems quarterly, unless they have a problem, or community systems monthly is a coliform bacteria test. Coliform is a bacteria that it it'll if you're ingest it, it'll give you dysentery, things of that nature. But if coliform bacteria is there, other disease-causing bacteria can be there also. It's not saying they are, it's but if it got in there, the other things can get in there too. So we have to remediate that as soon as possible. And usually, once I get a positive bacteria sample, I will dose the a well with the chlorine to a safe level. I have measuring instruments to to make sure that we keep it there. And I, I've had to learn formulas on the amount of water in a well casing and determine how much chlorine can be added safely because the chlorine level, when you're dosing, has to be kept between 0.2 parts per million, but not more than four parts per million for a safe level. You can't just take a gallon of bleach and pour it down your well. If you do, you don't want to drink it. Okay. And the other thing is when you pour, Chlorine's highly corrosive, so it will it'll eat your well casing, cause it to rust fast. Mm. So normally what you do if you're going to give a well a high dose, even with the low doses, we mix it with water, pour it down that way, and then we chase it down with more water to, to finish washing it down into the groundwater, into okay. the, the water in the casing. Uh, anyway, uh, if we have a bacteria level. There's a, another type of test. There's The coliform test is a presence or absence test. What we do is we take a sample, get it to the laboratory within 30 hours. They do what they call an 18-hour test on it. And what they do is take the little bottle that we brought them full of water. They put this powder, a reagent in there to feed the bacteria. They put the lid back on it. They put it in an incubator for 18 hours. After 18 hours, they take it out. If the sample's turned yellow, bacteria's there. If it stayed the same color, clear, little off color, that's okay. It's, it's just negative. There's nothing there. But if it turns yellow, then they take that sample and they put it back in the incubator for another four hours. Then they take it out and they put it under a black light. And if it fluoresces, that means it's positive for E. coli. 
that's just one of the tests that the laboratory does on that constituent, which is bacteria in the water. And uh, all our public water systems go through some type of bacteria test every month. Uh, they and start you with the have so many systems, that's what you do, is your day-to-day -day is basically to go through and... I have different routes. I'll head north one day of the week, or one week of the month, I head north. Another week of the month, I head east. Another week, we head west. And another week, we head south. And you also have to spend one day going to, I think, Riverside to bring your samples? Yes, right. that's on our, Wednesday mornings is uh, sample day. We take them on uh, Tuesday afternoon. We uh, I have a special refrigerator. We keep them refrigerated overnight. We uh, cannot start sampling before noon because we have that 30-hour hold time with our coliform bacteria. And uh, with what they call volatile organic compounds on some of our systems we have to do, that has a 24-hour hold time unless we preserve it with two drops of hydrochloric acid. All the, There's a myriad of different sampling procedures that you have to go through just to get them to the laboratory and then the chemists do what they do. And this is why you have to do your continuing education. To keep up on changes in, uh, in equipment used, in methods, uh, New constituents, we just went through uh, testing for once a quarter on our community, community systems and larger for trichloropropane 123. We call it TCP 123. We had to do okay. quarterly testing on that throughout the state of California for uh, that constituent quarterly. What that constituent was, was there was a product they used for a, I can't remember now, it was a chemical that they produced for some process. And they thought back in the 50s, this stuff makes a great fungicide. So they started using it in farm fields. This was in the 50s. Then they decided, well, maybe we don't want to use this on the farm field. So they discontinued it. Now they're finding levels of it that are unsafe in some groundwater. So throughout the state, every system in the state had to do quarterly T TCP testing to find out if they had any of this constituent in their water and what levels it was at. And most of it was found in the farm fields in the Central Valley. And they found some wells that are really high in it. So they have to go through a treatment process on that water before they can use it for potable drinking water. Wow, it's a little scary to hear that uh, 50, 60 years later that they're finding trace materials of this. But we're not finding this up in our valley. No. Okay. No, and uh, because we finished our quarterly testing, some of the, the samples get pretty pricey on uh, the processing at the laboratory. And I think the TCPs were running uh, $100 a piece. So you have to do one of those on each well. If you have five wells on a system, you have to multiply that by five in four quarters in a year. So you multiply it four more times and and it gets to be a pretty good expense. That's the reason that uh, water companies have to monitor their rates closely. Because if they're not charging enough, 
they they have their electrical requirements to meet. Uh, about every 10, 15 years, they have to replace a pump and a drop pipe. And on the larger systems, these get pretty pricey. You're talking about two or $3,000 for just the pump. Uh, it's been interesting. The more I learn, the less I know. So the continuing education comes in uh, really beneficial. And I get to meet others that are like-minded in the water industry. That's one of the reasons that uh, I joined the Anza Groundwater Association early on when they uh, when Lena Moffla started. She got a grant to do that. Yes. And uh, Kevin Kosad came up here and assisted us with getting started with that. Right. So uh, before we get into the into that uh, part of the discussion, just want to go back to uh, well. Uh, so if you're living off a, a water system, it sounds like that it's per perfectly safe to open up the tap because we know that that Merle Johnson and his crew. Or uh, we'll, we'll warn right. you when it is not safe, so you can right. take proper precautions to protect yourself. And uh, if there's any issues, uh, you just have a filtration system inside your home. If you have a, any any feeling that uh, it's just not, you know, some people want to put in. Um, Small reverse for, osmosis. Yeah, things like that. But it, it sounds like it's not necessary when you're on a water system. But, no, that's but, the reason for the Safe Drinking Water Act of 1974. Right. That, is, that started the institutions that we have today for water companies to set the standards and to make sure that people get safe drinking water and as good tasting as possible. Right. So I, I live in Owanga and I drink my water in from my well and I tested it once when I first bought the property and I haven't tested it since. That's uh, eight years ago. Should I be concerned about anything on, on my with, private well? With a private well, from what I see on the larger systems and the wells that they have and the things that we have to go through, there's some things that I recommend private well owners get tested for initially. Then if you find something that's elevated, that's a constituent you might want to have a test done for annually or after a big earthquake. During, after an earthquake, groundwater migration patterns change. What we find up here in the commercial wells are uh, coliform bacteria. It gets introduced uh, through different little migration paths through the, the casing sometimes if it rusts out on upper levels uh, through well seals through the drop pipe if it's not caulked around it things of that nature the other thing we find is nitrates uh, some of those can be attributed to the farm fields but if you're not near a farm field the nitrates are more than likely coming from your septic tank uh, there's that when you buy a house, if you get an FHA, FHA loan, what they test for, I believe, is uh, coliform bacteria, nitrates, arsenic, and lead. There's 40 other constituents in groundwater that should be tested for initially, but they don't do that on private wells. Sounds like a lot of money. Not really. Uh, Title 22 testing, 
covers herbicides, pesticides, and lower. That that can total a couple thousand dollars. But for basic testing for general mineral physical, inorganic compounds, each one of those runs, I think, about $125 each. Then uh, coliform bacteria runs about $35. Nitrates, it's a $20 test. If you get high in nitrates, you might want to test for nitrites. If you get a hit on nitrites, it means you're drinking toilet to tap. Pretty disgusting, huh? Uh, and the other thing is uh, gross alpha activity, which is radioactivity in the water. And uh, because of the granite rocks that some of our wells are drilled into, we do pick up some uranium at unsafe levels here. Uh, that's a $40, $50 test. Uh, gross alphas, from what I've learned, affect the soft tissues in the body, and you can uh, filter them out pretty easily. But what, unless you have a whole house filter, uh, people that develop lung cancer that never smoked quite possibly could have caught it through the mist off the shower. And, uh, and I met a lady that... Uh, You're scaring me now. ...lost her mother because of uh, arsenic in the water through the mist on the shower. She got lung cancer. And they tested the water, and it was high in arsenic. So I, I recommend everybody test for at least coliform bacteria, nitrates, and gross alpha activity. Now... Gross health activity doesn't affect you. The health effects are 12 to 20 years out from what uh, the state of California says on the Consumer Conference Report, health effect language. So if you're going to be, it's that thing about moving around to the different watering holes. If you're going to move in a year, I wouldn't worry about the gross alphas. But if you're going to be there for 10, 20 years, you might want to do that check for gross alpha activity and just to see where it's at you might not have any but I met somebody up on Table Mountain that had uh, uh, higher than the maximum contaminant level it was almost two and a half times the maximum contaminant level and they had a baby and uh, they they put filtration on her water and they checked the water they checked the levels after filtration to make sure that they haven't reached what they call breakthrough, where the filter's saturated for that constituent that keeps coming through. So you want to, if you do have filtration, you still want to keep up on it. Uh, not that the water isn't potable, but once you find something like that out, uh, it makes it really hard to drink a glass of water from the tap. Uh, yeah, I recommend everybody get it tested for a at least a few constituents to see what's going on, to see what the levels are. Uh, for two, $300, you can get quite a bit of testing done. And, uh, and then again, for the different constituents that I found in the, the larger water systems up here, uh, yeah, I highly recommend coliform bacteria, nitrate, and gross alpha. And those three constituents can be done for $95 at the laboratory and then uh, well, that sounds reasonable for ensuring the health of the family 
Mm-hmm. Okay. The more I learn, the less I know. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I know that um, uh, for a while, if not now, uh, you were at the swap meet inside the community hall. That and was, you were you were. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Okay. I was uh, working with the Anza Groundwater Association, and I, the community hall gave me a table, and I was uh, informing people about the constituents in the groundwater, and I would supply them with the bottles so they could take their samples and bring them back to me at the next swap meet, and I would take them to the lab, and all I had to pay was the lab charges. I had to discontinue that because there just wasn't enough demand for it. So now we have a service where uh, one of my employees or I will come out, do the sampling, make sure it gets to the laboratory for $50, and then I have them write another check to the laboratory for the laboratory costs. So you'll come to to anyone's uh, private well and take a test for $50? Yeah, yeah we, we have to do it by appointment, and we have to schedule it in so that... Uh, if I have to do a special run, it costs a lot more money because I have to send somebody especially to the lab and back in San Bernardino, and I have to cover my costs there. But if I can uh, get the sample in a timely manner with my other samples that I do for the regular commercial public water systems, uh, I try to get it three or four, maybe five uh, private party samples in. I do a lot of work with... Uh, real estate entities for their sampling on on uh, the wells before a real estate transaction. Do a little of that too. I'd like to have, uh, talk to you more in depth about the work uh, that you and uh, other volunteers have done with the ANSA water groundwater. But I have a feeling that's a pretty, um, uh, it might be a lengthy interview. And, yes. And I would like to invite you back. And, uh, yeah, you might want to come to uh, an Anza Groundwater Association meeting, meet the other members, and, uh, and maybe have uh, five minutes from each one of us on that. That make for an interesting uh, segment of Fika with Anika. I might just take you up on that. And what, what and each person's priorities are, are on groundwater, because a lot of people don't think about the groundwater. You don't see it until it comes out of the tap. That's right. That's right. And city people, have, you know, <laughs> understanding the concept of having to pull it up from the ground from from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or in the city, a lot of that water comes from surface water, and it's treated differently. They have a another set of standards for surface water okay. compared to groundwater. Interesting. So, uh, Agua meets uh, once a month, from what I understand, um, the first Wednesday of the month? Yes, and uh, public's invited. We go uh, we go dark in the winter months, for especially around Christmas, because everybody needs a little more time for shopping or one thing or another. And, uh, and it, at points, we don't have any issues to discuss, so we might not have a meeting that month, but we have one at least every quarter. Okay. And, uh, and it's determined by, by the group. I see. All right. Well, I'll certainly get in touch with the, the group and see about maybe doing another interview, but I'd still like to have you in uh, one-on-one. I have a feeling that there's a lot more to Merle 
than I, I ever knew, uh, just to, from the beginning of the interview, you know. The more you learn, learn, the less you know. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you've got such an interesting background. There's some other questions there I'd like to ask. So I will be uh, asking you back again. Uh, now, if anyone has any questions for you, uh, how is the best way to reach you? By uh, Do you have a telephone number or an email where someone can send you requests? My telephone number is 951 Three three seven seven four one seven. I don't take calls while I'm driving. Now that they've instituted a thousand dollar fine for holding your cell phone while you're driving. Yes. And I don't want to lose my license for three <laughs> years. So you might get my voicemail, but I will respond to you. And uh, and the probably the best way to contact me is either through a text to that number or to my email address, which is water. System management, no spaces, at gmail.com. Very good. And I'll get back to you within a reasonable amount of time because sometimes I do get a little busy, especially this time of year. I can only imagine. Paperwork. <laughs> and the water's heating up, the bacteria levels increase, and so we have to do a little remediation there. Oh, gotcha. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fika with Anika. Tune in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and a replay on Sundays at 1 p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests, please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put Fika in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.